This is Real Kipper and Board on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Good afternoon and welcome to Real Kipper and Born. It is one of those days where uh, we don't have Real Kipper. It's a Lumberjack special That's today. Right. <laughs> you get Brent Gunning uh, and Justin Bourne both in our red and black plaid. Gunner, how are you? Doing well, doing well. I did not plan this, and uh, boy, I can't believe that's how we started the day. With uh, Yes, yeah, so us both looking like Lumberjacks here. Always happy to be in. I am not the Real Kipper. Very fraudulent Brent Gunning, but always, always happy to join you guys. <laughs> it is like the most Canadian thing, though. Gunner has a son named Gordy. I, I do, yes. Uh, we are in red and black plaid. We are going to talk about the Maple Leafs. We should we're going to make way too much out of certain things <laughs> yeah. for the maple leafs it is truly as canadian as it gets yeah this should be sponsored by poutine and maple syrup that's where we're at today but here's the thing about plaid it's the go-to for any Men. male in canada that's why people joke about it because like it's yeah. not unique that both you guys wear plaid i saw like four other people wearing plaid yeah it just it's ha- the you know more th- what's unique is we're both in red and black plaid but like, red and black it's the most popular plaid. This is they I, actually, the they jacket I wore here <laughs> today is red and black. <laughs> when you enter the country, they issue you your standard, uh, yeah, red and black plaid. I've had the same one for seven years, and yeah. I wear it every day. I got to get a new one, anyways. Well, anyway, we all look fantastic. We'll leave it at that. Uh, today, we're going to be joined by Luke Fox, our uh, Leafs beat writer, up on all the the latest there. We're going to get David Amber. You know, one of the best of all time, my absolute fave, DA. And we're going to get Haley Salvian, uh, national hockey writer with The Athletic, doing some radio work for us at Sportsnet this year. So excited to have all that going on. Before we get to that, though, we're going to talk about the Maple Leafs (laughs) and all the pertinent details. Um, Some news today. They got uh, Nick Robertson appears to be in. Dennis Mulgan out. Hey, I know. We like that. We do like that. That's good. Um, Victor Mete is going to be in for Jake Muzzin, which we like a little bit less, not because of Victor Mete, mm-hmm. but not great for Jake yeah. Muzzin. Uh, and we're going to get into that <laughs> in detail. <laughs> but really, the story of the day, and it sounds dumb that this is the story of the day, but yesterday, Sheldon Keefe uh, called out his elite players after the game, after the loss to Arizona. He simply said, our elite players weren't elite players, which is what yep. separates us from Arizona and I said on this show yesterday that that's something he's going to have to talk about with those players because you can't just talk about, you know, take shots like that mm-hmm. and not have to back it up in the room when you go see them personally. So um, there's been, I guess, a little bit of fallout from that. Any initial thoughts on? Uh... Well, I I was listening to you guys. Always love, always love listening to the show. And I heard the point you're making. And I understand the idea of, hey, uh, you guys, whatever you want to make that, the core four, throw Riley in there as well. You were a focal point of this post game. There may be some questions, but would any of those guys sit there and say, no, I was awesome. How dare you say that about me? Right. That's the part that, like, I understand no one likes to be publicly criticized. Right. But I also understand that I would imagine every single one of Whoever those guys are, whoever the elite players on this team that Sheldon Keefe was talking about, make it as small of a group as you want, make it as big of a group as you want. It doesn't matter. Nobody should have been thrilled with the game that they played against the Coyotes. So I understand addressing it. I understand saying, hey, hey, this happened. Maybe you're going to get asked about it. Here's what I said. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But for those players to take offense by it, again, I understand not wanting to, you know, be called out publicly, but looking in the mirror, they should know. Yeah, I I agree. You know, so... One of the one of the things I want to talk about, well, you know, I think before we really go into what it can mean and doesn't is, because I, I know some people on Leafs Twitter don't appreciate that Sheldon Keefe felt the need that he had to back up mm-hmm. what was on its face a pretty fair statement, we think. 
Uh, Sam, you want to start with Marner's comments? We'll, we'll go Matt. We'll go Marner, Matthews, and then do Keith. All right. So that, we'll start with Marner. All right. Let's do that. Oh, not at all. Um, no, he called us in, and um, we had to talk, and it was all good. I mean, like I said, um, you know, that's uh, part of this game is to talk to one another and, and uh, you know, explain what you meant. So um, I don't think anyone was hurt by the comments or anything like that. So um, us is. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's the leadership guys are the guys that. Um, I don't know who else he talked to, but um, talked to me for sure. So, um, yeah, it's all good. Pretty harmless. That's fine. Rosie was on a tear down there today. Was she? <laughs> oh, yeah. She was just, <laughs> I love it. Asking the tough questions. She was grinding everybody. It's good. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a focal point thing to say about your stars and to follow up on it at your first opportunity at the next practice. Love it. So just saying she was, she was that on everyone. Right. Big fan. So in hearing those comments from Marner, it doesn't sound like no, anything. That's fine overly wrong with he addressed it we moved on whatever um you want to run through them then sam yeah, we'll just go, go to matthews next let's do that what's said in the media and then obviously what's said behind doors and uh you know in like private discussions is you know maybe different than um you know how it's interpreted out in the media so uh this is my seventh year year here now and uh i kind of understand how it works now but um you know i think the conversations that kind of go on behind closed doors without media and stuff or uh, more generally discussions and communications rather than just, you know, harping on guys. You, you know, it's, you're right. It, it is the Toronto market that we end up discussing mm-hmm. this stuff, but I don't know. Quickly, way, I know yeah. there's way more important things. It yeah. just slapped me in the face. His seventh year. Like we always talk about how fast windows go and not to, like we, we will talk about that all season long. I'm sure. It's already seven, year seven for Austin Matthews. I know. Like, I crazy. remember when Sorry. the Leafs pulled the, yeah. the card or when they flipped the card over that the Leafs were going to get first overall, and here we are seven years later. Uh, okay, what did Sheldon Keefe have to say about uh, elite players not being elite? Well, I, I had a lot of other things to talk to him about, right. um, just regular check-ins that I have with all of our players, but that was on the list of things to discuss, and I guess I'm, I'm glad I did it because they didn't know what I was talking about. Um, so it helped them prepare to deal with you guys today at least. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, regular check-in with the guys, but that was on the list to discuss. I, mean, I, I, I used some of the wrong words to, to try to, you know, describe what I was trying to describe, which is that you know, the difference in the game, I find, is just we weren't able to produce, you know, whether it's power player five on five. And uh, that's, that's really the difference, you know, with all the puck time we had and everything like that. But by, by no means was I meaning anything anything beyond that which is what I wanted them to be to be sure of and as it turned out they didn't know what I was talking about but um, which is a good thing but um, at the same time important that that they know where I was coming from uh Sammy I want to get your take on this in a sec I'll start with Gunner though um what are your thoughts hearing Sheldon Keith kind of walk that back it, that's exactly it. He he walked it back. It yeah. was not a, this wasn't a guy who took the podium and slammed it and said, my star players are terrible. We can't win with this effort. It was, do you know how much better these guys are than any Coyotes player pretty much ever? Sorry, Shane Doan. <laughs> like that's basically what he was saying. And the idea to have to walk that back, I, I immediately went to the comments he had. I think it was after a loss against the Rangers last year. Mm-hmm. He used the S word. He called them soft and he had to walk that back as well. And part of this is just, just how we played soft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did say it. And this is all part of why it's harder in a massive market like Toronto. Mm-hmm. Something like this, Derek 
Daryl Sutter is so critical of his team all the time. Now, part of that is cup rings, pedigree, everything. And yes, that is absolutely part of the equation. But other markets, guys are critical of star players, and it's just a blip in the news cycle, and that's that. But the fact that you had to walk it back, that that's immediately where my head went, was to the soft comments last year. Yeah, there. I think the concern, there is the perception of, you know, are the inmates running the asylum? Like, can you... Can you not criticize guys in your team without having to justify it, without having to say, oh, I used the wrong words or, you know, he didn't outright apologize for it, but did feel the need to explain himself a little bit. And I think what you worry about is who's making the decisions. Is it those guys going to Sheldon and saying, well, you can't act like that. Or is it him saying you guys didn't play well? And, you know, I'll tell you when it's time you mm-hmm. sit down shut up and I'll put you over the boards and we'll carry on. You know, it, it does bring questions about who who has the power in that dynamic. So I've had a lot of thoughts where you guys are sitting here talking, and I I think we're making too much of it. Yeah. I now that I've listened to all the clips and now that I've listened back, if anything, yeah, the way that Marner and Matthews were talking there, they don't give a a crap. Sorry, I, really close to swearing there for no reason. But they seem to really don't give a crap. Like, you know, in in hearing those all back to back, I actually agree with you. Thanks. It's funny because talking about it, having read mm-hmm. the quotes, yeah. it seemed a lot worse. But I just don't know if it was no big deal the way that Matthews and Martin made it seem in those quotes, which it seemed like they it was really you know no skin off their ass. Mm-hmm. They yeah. didn't really chap them at all. Why why he felt the need to say. I used the wrong words. Mm-hmm. To me, like, if it's not that big a deal, then why did you have to go out and walk it back? That's the only part of it now, listening yeah. to it, that kind of surprises me. It doesn't seem like they were really that pissed off at all. Yeah, not, nothing on the players there so much as why does Sheldon feel but, the need to say. But like Matthew said, what's said in the media and what's behind closed doors, maybe they killed him behind the scenes. Maybe they're like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> like, to the... Four yeah, guys they, were the only guys who scored goals in that game. Like we, yeah, we had seventy percent of the shot yeah, attempts yeah. when we were on the ice, and, and we had two you, goals. And, what are you talking about? Why yeah. are you saying this? But if that's not what was said, I don't see any need to walk back what he said, and I hate that he walked it back. That's my only take. I think we're making too much of it now that I've heard it all and thought about it as you guys were talking. But I still don't like the fact that he walked it back. Yeah. No, I think that's that's what I, you know. The really the only the frustration is is feeling like the guy like Sheldon would need to. You know, basically acquiesce to those guys who, again, they they didn't seem overly frustrated by the whole thing. Um, they were so much more cryptic. They're like, we'll leave it at that. And what's said in the room via text, it just sounds like a completely <laughs> like you picture them with like Mr. Burns finger tented. Like, yes, yes. It's just it comes across so differently when you actually hear them saying it. It does. Absolutely. Well, it just seems to me if you're walking that stuff back, there's part of him that's he's feeling this. You think Keith is? For sure. You know, we, we talked about Boudreaux yesterday mm-hmm. on the show and, like, is this a guy who's feeling, you know, pressure in the hot seat? You don't think after four games Sheldon feels like desperation? I don't know how you couldn't. I think he sees it. I think hmm. he sees it trending towards where, uh, whatever the Chicago game was, where it's like everybody in the building was just like, oh, they really better win that game tonight mm-hmm. because things could change. I think he just sees himself not running out of track but it's just the season gets late early we're going to be an eighth of the way through this thing u.s thanksgiving is right around the corner and that is kind of the delineating point always and teams have gone on runs otherwise i just think it's a case of a guy who realizes and boy stop me if you've heard this one from the least before how big a year this is and you really don't want to let it get away from you (laughs) because that's that's what it felt like to me just to further on my point 
I don't know how you could watch the guys that you're supposed to be motivating, the guys that you talk to every day, the guys that you preach to, hey, don't have these crappy starts against crappy teams. Hey, don't do this in these games. And have them go out there and just do it over and over and over after however long he's been coaching. I mean, the COVID year, it's weird to think about that he's only had one full real year, right? Yeah. This will be his first normal year. Right. Which is is crazy to think about. I know. Well, I guess, no, he had half the season when he when Babs got fired, yeah. it was normal, and then they got shut down. Right, but that's a half bubble. season yeah, where yeah. he doesn't get a training camp, it's, bubble season, he's shortened a, season. He's had a really weird sort of tenure as a coach in terms of what's been going on in the world. But, like, I don't know how you don't feel it if you're him. Yeah. Like, this is season three, right? It's It's time for these guys to start listening to the message, and they're just playing the exact same as they always do. There's no way he's not feeling it. Yeah. Well, then, you know, I don't think we should beat this up any further than because because yeah. honestly I don't think it's much of anything and I'm you know I, I just go off and what I see in social media and I mean it's yeah. a big deal it doesn't seem like a big deal so no, it, it we'll is turn a, the page yeah. we've all kind of talked it around now and yeah we we blew it up all just right. a touch let's go on to Mitch Marner talking about Jake Muzzin Jake Muzzin has been put on IR uh, that means he'll miss you know three games something you know fairly minor sounds like he doesn't have a concussion doesn't have a head injury uh, it was a neck injury. But there are still concerns, and the comments from Marner were, I guess, a little bit scary about bleak, bleak. Yeah. Well, the severity, like he's presumably talked to the guy by now, and if this is where their conversations are centered around, let's hear uh, Marner on Jake Muzzin. Doing what he can do. Um, obviously, for him, it's just making sure that um, if he does come back and play this year or whenever or whatever happens, um, you know, just make sure that he's going to be able to do whatever he wants to do the rest of his life and enjoy the time with his family, his kids, and. Um, whatever he wants to do. So I think that's the most important thing. And um, obviously on the ice for us, it's a big missing piece. Um, he does a lot for us on and off the ice. So just calmness um, on the ice when he has the puck, penalty kill-wise, just the leadership he brings, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely a big piece that uh, will be missing. But um, life off the ice is always more important than your family is. That's just jarring. I mean, to it's we just one the start of that clip again please yeah yeah doing what he can do um obviously for him it's just making sure that i'm directing back here i'm go keep going doing (laughs) what he can do um obviously for him it's just making sure that um if he does come back and play this year or whenever or whatever happens um if you know just make sure that plays this year yeah yeah like and he's talked to jake you know like best buddy yeah apparently they're they're best buds so yeah if he comes back this year is a lot different picture than he's on ir could be three games not a head injury there's, there's just so many ways to go. The, the thing that's scary from a not hockey perspective, but like a life, Jake Muzzin's life perspective is it. And uh, again, this team obviously has way more info on his medical history and what he's dealing with mm-hmm. right now. Muzzin has more info than I do, but you just see it happen. And I'm not saying this is the one, but it just seems like a guy who's going to play until he can't skate or stand up anymore. Like it's starting to feel that way with Muzzin of, no, I have to do it. And that... We've all we've talked about this in all sports and all walks of life. It is commendable when someone wants to push through and push yeah. through and push through. But at a certain point in time, and there's hockey ramifications that we'll speak of, but just for his life, like if a guy who is that close with him, who has had several days to talk to him about all this, is saying those types of things, and again, if scary. Yeah. You know, I look at the Jake Muzzin situation and I could see in the locker room, you know, he tweaks his neck on the hit and he talks to a trainer and they're like, yeah, you know, we're just, you know, it's sore. Or we got some muscle tension, whatever. And where he thinks it's like, it's not a big deal. It's the Marner quote for mm-hmm. me that where one of someone who's talked to him says, if he plays again this year, you know, you think about his kids. It's like, hold on. 
you know, that's a, a totally different look at what the Leafs should expect from this guy. And if you're, you know, looking at the Maple Leafs, you take it away from the man of Jake Muzzin and yeah. say, okay, let's look at the hockey team and how this affects the hockey team. It significantly affects the hockey team. The decor has been a question mark on this team right now. I look around the league, I actually wrote something that may be up on sportsnet.ca, mm-hmm. but the teams who are doing well have good decors. It's mm-hmm. Vegas's decor is good. The Flames have a good de- decor. Colorado, like, you know, yep. those teams, the Rangers, but you look at the teams that struggle, yeah. the Hurricanes, yeah. that, that was mentioned too, yeah. And the teams that haven't been great don't have great decors. The Leafs have had a slow start. Mm-hmm. Their decor has been questionable. Sandine hasn't been his best self. They ha- don't have Lilligren. Now they don't have Muzzin and Victor Mete's in. You know, when you look at beyond the man, Jake Muzzin, what, what's the solution here? Like, Jordy Ben coming back? Like, well, the, that goes back to the first thing Marner said, if he plays this year. Those yeah. are very different conversations. If there's a world sure. where Jake Muzzin, and this goes back to all the conversations we had at the deadline mm-hmm. last year yeah. of, well, what's this team going to do at the deadline? Well, they can't they, use that money because like, they have Jake play. Muzzin on LTIR or not. Yeah. And that's just going to be the answer to that. If, if it's a situation where he's going to find himself on LTIR and that's the, that's the doomsday scenario that Marner potentially laid out there of if he doesn't play again this year, well, then that changes things. You know, this team has used a lot of prospect capital, has used a lot of draft pick capital. Mm-hmm. Guess what? There's still more there. You can still go trade. <laughs> you could do a Florida Panthers and trade all your first rounders forever. If you have the, what is it, five or four, five for Muzzin, if you have that to play around with then that changes things you can go get a defenseman it's actually five six two five five. it's a lot of money so it is that that does change things uh significantly for how to replace them but you can't just go out and find guys very easily and it's almost like one of those scenarios where the best case if he can't play to just make that determination and i believe you know get some insurance to cover Mm -hmm. that and then you know what you have but I fear for the Leafs, and again, this is I also fear for Muzzin and his health, but when you look at the hockey's perspective... I, I said that first, so we're clear. Okay, we're yeah. good on that. I fear for the Leafs that kind of the worst-case scenario is he's kind of hurt. Yep, and he's like, I'll be back in yeah, December, and then that turns in, into January. Yeah, he's back in six weeks, yeah. and then he plays four or five games mm-hmm. to get up to speed. He gets dinged. He's out for two weeks. He, you know, And you kind of never really get what you're paying for. Um, that's a pretty... Pretty bleak outlook for the Leafs D. I, you know, I looked at other teams that have started slow. Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, they're D, they're one and one and three. Their decor, is that right, Sammy? Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Sure I'm sure they'll stay like that too. Well, listen, they, they didn't yeah. you pick them to win the cup there? Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> Lightning lover. I don't I don't think Ooh. they're suddenly bad. Well, but they, they don't have Ryan are. McDonough, they don't have Yan Ruda, they're playing Cal Foot and no. Hayden Flurry and someone called Nick Purbix and I don't even believe you. I know. <laughs> Is that a man? <laughs> yeah, I know it's a real guy. You know, so that all of a sudden they're struggling when their decor looks weak. And I, I you know, I worry about the Leafs because I think it's become a big part of hockey today. Everyone focuses on speed and skill, but you need good players on your back end to deal with that. Yeah, so, you do. And it, sorry, Mickey, you no, want to? No, I, I was just going to say, and look, this point's been made a billion times, but it doesn't mean it's, it's still not true. He's the only one of him back there. Mm-hmm. Mark Giordano is a, like, rugged-ish, like, insense of... What about Labushkin? Well, okay, <laughs> hey, like, let me lead a horse to water. You got it there. Like, it, that was the guy. He was the only other guy who gave them that element. And yes, like you mentioned, Labushkin. What what verb did we uh, decide on for that hit? Uh, eviscerated, crumpled uh, Holloway on the Oilers last night. He's the only guy who lays the body that way for, the, for a Leafs team. And I do think sometimes that's a little overstated of you need to have the heaviest guys. Yeah. You need some. You can't sure. have none. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I got some uh, pushback on Twitter by noting that, boy, sure be nice to have a right shot physical D-man for 2.7 mil. But 
you know, easier said than done. I know they didn't have the room to keep him, but I did get a lot of people saying, uh, no one was saying that when they didn't resign him. Like, yeah. 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 We were. You did. Uh, we you, def- you were <laughs> preaching <laughs> it the entire time. Yes. But I take a different look at the, the Muzzin thing with, with Sandine, because now Sandine's elevated to the second pair. Yeah. It's like, this is why his quote unquote holdout was the stupidest thing of all Just time. Just cost him being at his best. Like, why did you. You didn't think someone's gonna get hurt. You didn't think you were gonna get to play. Like you wanted more time. You wanted more money. Like what did you want? It's a now really good point. Now you're playing on the second pair of the team that has huge aspirations. When you have a chance to prove how good you are and make more money, and they've bumped Geo off the second power play unit. Set. Sandine Sandine gets that yeah. spot. That was always where that was going. Like it's tough to sell a guy on. You have to sit and wait for someone to get hurt. But given Muzzin's history and the age... Feels like they kind of knew this would happen pretty quickly. Well, it does feel like that. How could you not? Which, if you feel like that, and we all do about Mm -hmm. Muzzin going forward, does someone have a talk with a guy? And, you know, you can't retire guys for them. Uh, Okay, this is is something you can't say, but I'm here, so I can say it. The amount of conversations I've had with people over the last few days of, look, the Lou-Kyle thing is so dead and gone. Lou Lamorello would have found a way. The amount of conversations I've had with people who said, look, I know you can't just tell a guy. I know it feels like Lou might have. And is that unfair to say? Because we don't know. Yeah, it kind of is. But this is this That's is a robot big, island. It's is. a big, big issue for this team right now. And again, yeah. it's not like we're not shocked that this happened all off season. It was a conversation I had with countless people. And I'm sure everybody else did, too, of, OK, but what happens when he gets hurt and then you don't have that 5-6 I Listen, I wrote it before the season. I, I said that Jake Muzzin's uh, health will become a concern. That was like my third or fourth prediction for yeah. the Leafs on the season. Good job by you. Well, thank you. Goaltending too, right? right? Oh, yeah, yeah, that came yeah. up as well. Yeah. All over it. Goaltending was not a tough call. <laughs> <laughs> Neither was Muzzin. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. But so, yeah, it is something they probably saw coming. I guess that's why. They are deeper than they have ever been in terms mm-hmm. of depth with Ben and, um, sorry, Ben, Mete, Dahlstrom is unfortunately called hurt. Up crawl they today. called up Crawl You know, I, I talked to some people around the Marlies and my understanding with Crawl is like toolsy. I like, was going to say, I, I did, I was there for the preseason game that he got a ton of run in and yeah. he does pop at times. Like, but, I'm, yeah, lots to is, like. It's not me saying throw him in the NHL the, right now. The but two yeah. things that I'm told are. Decision-making isn't quick enough and not physical enough for a guy his size yet. So, um, yeah. Sorry, Sam, we have Luke there. All right. Luke Fox joining us now to talk more about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Luke, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. I um, I appreciated that you also apparently drive a 2009 Jetta and listen to rap music. Is that true? <laughs> it is. Um, I've, I've been listening to rap music a lot longer than I've been listening to my uh, driving my 09 Jetta. So that dates me a little bit. Yeah, same, buddy. It's, uh, it's starting to feel a little awkward, I'll be honest. But anyway, yeah. um, appreciate you joining us today. You know, the first thing we talked about off the top is we all kind of gave our takes. Is it a big deal that... Marner and Matthews had commentary on Sheldon walking back his elite comments thing. Sheldon mentioned why he did it. What are your thoughts on elite comment gate and maybe the non, <laughs> maybe the non story that it is. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's been blown out of proportion. I mean, I, I was, I, I was there when, when Sheldon made those comments and I think it had more to do with the Arizona game um, specifically. I mean, when you step back, uh, the, the top six has dominated play and, and everyone's basically a point per game out of those elite players, except for Austin Matthews. He has one goal. He's tipped it in. He hasn't shot one in the net yet, which is, uh, you know, 
not not the start he wants after four games. But I'm not too worried about those guys. I'm sure they're going to get their points. Um, but in that game, you know, their power play wasn't clicking. The power play got booed off the ice in the second period. Uh, you look, you compare the two rosters, and it's it's almost laughable, right? Like. Right. Arizona's number one center is Travis Boyd, who was waived a year and a half ago by the Leafs. Their top <laughs> top goal oh, scorer you're not is, helping. is Nick Ritchie. <laughs> is Nick Ritchie, who was, uh, you know, traded away in, in pretty much a salary dump deal not that long ago. So if you're coaching and you got rid of two of these guys who are, you know, making an impact for the opposition and you have – I'd say five, maybe six players better than any one player on the Coyotes. You go in and you expect not only to win that game, but to dominate that game. You expect your power play to be a force. You don't expect to get beat on special teams. So, yeah, if you're Sheldon Keefe, I think you have a right to be a little bit embarrassed how things unfolded in that game. Um, And it wasn't as if he called anyone out by name, but using the phrase elite players – uh, after your second loss, when during your after your first loss, you used the word unacceptable, and we we need to lose. To me, that says less about how the elite players are playing um, when there's there is room to grow, sure, uh, and more about the tension that Sheldon is under this season. I, I think it feels it feels tight. It remind and then for him today to kind of soften his. Uh, comments a little bit and need, feel the need to explain it and couch it and all that. It's smacked to me of, of soft and purposeless um, from a year ago in that Rangers game. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't, I think we're making too big of a deal of it, but at the same time, if a coach said something, I think he, he should just say, yeah, they, they didn't have a great game. Right. They're going to be better next game and, and kind of stand by his comments more than, uh, it, it feels like a little tiptoeing around things, and I think that speaks to how uh, you know the pressure that Sheldon's under right now. So you you remember last year, Luke, uh, leading into that Chicago game? I think it was Camp ties it late, and Nylander scores an OT, or maybe it was vice versa there. But that that game felt like you know maybe it's a little too strong to say it's sh- save Sheldon Keefe's job, but it definitely felt like that was a big big momentum turn for them. Do you have a similar feeling around this? It feels to me like it's crazy to say, given that the team's two and two compared to the disastrous start they got off to last year. It does feel like things are already tenser at this point in time than they were when we got to that Chicago game last year like it's amazing how quickly things have got tense you mentioned them being booed off the ice in the second period power plays getting booed like part of this is stemming from the fan base for sure of year after year of first round exit and learning some lessons and let's try it again and kick the can down the road part of that is definitely coming from the fan base but it it certainly feels like it's the calls coming from inside the house as well yeah no it it does feel similar Uh, i know one reporter not me that had drafted uh, a Sheldon Keith, a Sheldon Keith fired story just in case uh, before before the not not this year but before um, puck drop going into that Chicago Blackhawks game. That's how tense it was on the road there. Uh, it, it was it was very tense. Uh, I wouldn't say this season has reached that point, uh, but you know they lose three more in a row, three more in a row or something. Um, you know we we could be at that point. Now, this team is talented enough that if they rip off five wins in a row, I don't think any of us would be shocked either. Nope. But it, it, it's, 
it is kind of crazy that we're riding this roller coaster so early. And, and I think the reason is because when you looked at the schedule, the Washington Capitals guys, I know they're, they're a playoff team last year, but that did not look like a playoff team. No. So when you, when you consider the four teams they've played, the fact that they're only 500, the fact that they haven't scored more than three goals in any of those games, the fact that they've looked out of sync and sloppy at, for prolonged stretches, disinterested at times, um, I think that's a concern because it's stuff the fan base has seen before. It's kind of old habits, you know, playing, um, you know, not your best against teams that are purposely tanking. You know, that, that kind of thing I think is just kind of annoying to some fans. And I think if you're the coach, you're, you're trying to pull at every possible string you can get, which is why I think he, he called out the team so harshly after the Montreal game. So a few changes have been made. Uh, Rasmus Sandin has been elevated. He's playing with Mark Giordano. Um, Dennis Mulgan is out, and Nick Robertson is in for the first game of the season. Uh, what are your thoughts on, well, mostly why it didn't happen against Arizona? <laughs> you know, Mulgan's performance I don't think has been stellar, but, you know, what are your thoughts on bringing in Nick Robertson now? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it happened. I... I think, you know, it's a bit of a failing of uh, the system maybe or the management of the cap that you're so tight to the cap that you can't reward a kid that, that is a, a draft pick of yours, a prospect of yours, when he had the training camp of his life. Right. Was a, was a standout. Like, Merritt got shoved right, you know, to the back of the line behind finance and managing the salary cap and i get it you know he's the one who didn't need to clear waivers but i it didn't sit right with me that this this kid busted his butt did everything asked of him was a star in the preseason and i mean that's all he can play right is the preseason that's what's there and he has to go down then he serves his time with the marlies gets a couple points scores a goal before he gets called up and then you stick with dennis malgan um, who, you know, ended up playing less than nine minutes, I think, against the Coyotes. He hasn't had a shot on net since the Montreal game. Uh, he's an obvious candidate to come out. So, uh, you know, on the flip side, I think there is some nice poetry there that Nick gets, uh, gets his uh, season debut against his older brother Jason's team, the Dallas Stars, tomorrow. So, so that'll be kind of nice. But this, this spot has been hard-earned, and I expect him to, to come out flying uh, tomorrow night. So good on him. Um, nice to see. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough for Melgan to get back in the lineup if, if Nick Robertson has any say in it, because that is one determined kid. Do you think there's a world where Robertson doesn't necessarily stop on that, on that second line with, with Tavares? I mean, you know, Michael Bunting has been a guy who's been moved around a little bit. We know Keith got the blender going out at, at, uh, in the Arizona game there. So obviously, you know, you don't want to read too, too much into it, depending on what the lines are going to look like next game. But I mean, if Bunting is not going to be locked and loaded on that left side, there are many different places he can find himself. And then conversely, you've got a big hole. Do you, do you see a world where Robertson could kind of quickly elevate himself to playing alongside Matthews and Marner, or do you do you do you th- expect he'll be kind of shielded away from that to start? Uh, I, I mean, anything's possible. And Michael Bunting's kind of put himself in a position here early going where uh, I wouldn't say he's in the doghouse quite yet, but he's definitely not um, 
thrilling the, the coach with his play. And, and we've seen that, you know, just, so, right. you know, he's, he's taken some penalties. He's mixed some things up, but hasn't been incredibly effective, effective, sorry. And then he did score, score in the Montreal game. But, um, you know, I, I, he says he's, you know, happy and enjoying and feeling free. But the fact that, you know, he, he was sorely underpaid last year and he's going into a contract here. Um, you know, he's trying to keep up with two of the best players in the sport. Uh, there, there must be a little bit of pressure um, in, in his head going into this year. He's got to find that line where he's not taking penalties, where he's drawing penalties, but not embellishing. Remember, he got slapped with an embellishment fine last year. Oh, I remember. Um, the, the, the the opposition, the officials, everyone's a little more hip to Michael Bunting's uh, style of play th- this year. So he has to he has to calm down, find his groove, and find find that line. Nick Robertson, um, there's a chance, right? Like if things are going south, Keith has never hesitated to throw his lines in the blender. I think in a perfect world, um, you have a different kind of presence on that line. A uh, guy who's just all about getting the puck, getting to the net. Uh, I don't know if there's enough, you know, plays to make to have so many triggermen um, on that line. I like Nick Robertson being a primary shooter on another line. Well, you know, that's the thing with bunting for me, Luke, is he seems to have forgotten himself a little bit. And almost before the season, you could feel Sheldon Keefe that there was some pushback to this. <laughs> it's like Bunting thought it was like, me, Austin, and Mitch, we're the first line. And everyone was like, no, 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 it's Austin <laughs> and Mitch, and you're on the line, you know, like for now. So, you know, it does feel like they're reminding of him, him of his place a little bit, eh? Well, they shouldn't have put him in that Tim Hortons commercial. Uh, that's then. what it's it was. <laughs> it's all the big boys in Bunting. Well, you know, that, that font of personality, John Tavares, I don't know if he would have highlighted it uh, quite as well. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So then, you know, the other guys that we have been kicking around here, quite literally, the elite players, um, what have you made of their initial play? He, Sheldon Keefe says they weren't elite players. Austin Matthews has a goal and an assist for two two points in four games. You know, I, I don't know. Tavares has been good. What do you think of the the big four forwards that the Leafs lean so heavily on? Yeah, I, I think there's another level. They just haven't dominated. They haven't had that that game where they explode for six goals and the power play goes off two or three times. You know, like Sidney Crosby's already had some signature games. Connor McDavid started the season with a mm-hmm. signature yeah. game. We haven't we haven't had that moment yet for these guys, and I think it's coming. Like, you know, I, I think Mitch has, has been amazing with the puck most nights. Um, needs to get to the inside a, a little bit more. You could tell there was emotion when he when he finally did score his first goal of the season. I, I think that probably felt like a, a relief to him the other night. I actually think John Tavares has quietly done very well, especially when you consider that he came back a week earlier than originally projected from his oblique injury. I I think he's been solid. I mean, his game is is never the flashiest to begin with. And I think William Nylander is actually buzzing. Like he's had a breakaway in every single game. He could have more goals than than he already does. Um, And I believe he already has has three. Like he's shooting it in the net. I I think it's just the fact that it's coming in bits and bursts and they haven't there hasn't been that Austin Matthews game yet, right? Like we were talking more about his hits than his goals, and it, yeah. the only goal he the only goal he did score, um, the fans thought Giordano scored it. You had to really look at the replay to see that he got a tip on it. So um, he's firing. He's spending most most of his time in the in the O zone. 
it, the, the breakthrough game or, you know, it just hasn't happened yet, but I'm sure it will. All right, Luke. Well, we really appreciate your time today, man. Thanks for joining us and uh, good luck in all those leaf scrums this year. Oh yeah. Let's keep the controversy spinning. That's right. You're doing a great <laughs> job. Thanks Luke. Okay. All right. Bye. Yeah. Uh, that breakout game is going to happen tomorrow night. I'll be in the building. Against so the Dallas Stars yeah, who have allowed three goals, one goal per game. Yeah, hey, they're due. They're due for a stinker. <laughs> no, I have. I have no idea. But that is, that's what the players need. That's what the team needs. And yeah. man, that's what this fan base needs. They wow. need the beatdown. They do. Uh, okay. So, well, here, here's the, here's the polar opposite ends of it. Me and Sam McKee. No, I just disagree. That, no, I just think that every time that we were in the building for two years or three years or however long I did leave, they didn't win a lot. So. I don't know if you go. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I feel like I. I feel like I had a great record last year. I was there for fifty. I feel like I was there for lots of big moments. That's Matthews great. Hattie. Yeah, I was there for a bunch. But it I is was there crazy. for a bunting Hattie. It mm. is crazy. Like Luke tried to class it up and not say you know the word I'll say, but like they played for dogs, boys. Yeah, dogs. Terrible. Bad teams. Really, really bad. You know, maybe, among you the know, worst. I guess the Caps may be fine. They'll sort it out. But they haven't been healthy, and yeah, looked like dogs. And the most, you know, Bunting has two even strength points. Nylander has two. Riley has two. Yarncroft two. Tavares two. Like no one has no. any real sort of point total. You know, for Matthews to have that against these four teams is really baffling. Usually, it's like, oh, he started with his wrist last year. He's got an injury or something. But it just. It has been disappointing, and so that's why I think it justified us talking about Sheldon Keefe walking back the comments because it should be like, our best guys haven't been our best guys, and that's the end of the conversation yeah. because they haven't been. It's infuriating that it became such a thing because, again, you can slice it any way you want, apparently outside of Corsi. That is still very good for, for the big four, nah. but uh, but did you watch the Arizona game? I did. I know yeah. you did. Yeah. They, they didn't look like outside of the first 11 minutes – which they didn't really generate much in the way of shots where they carried the puck around. And that's the frustrating thing to me is this team has two or three of the bad games. They have the game where they completely do not show up and then score one at the end of the second period and then get life going into the third and then rally and win in the third. That's frustrating in and of itself. But they also have what happened in that Arizona game where they play pretty well to start things out mm -hmm. and one doesn't go in. And they feel, and I don't think they sit there going, we were jobbed, we deserve one there. But it looks like when it doesn't go in, when they play that well in the first 10 minutes, yeah. the game just kind of goes away from them a little bit. And I don't that's know if the frustrating it, part. Yeah, I don't know if it was yesterday or if it was... What's that say about them? Oh, exactly. Well, yeah, or it might have been last part. night. But I've, I've said this a number of times about this team. When they control the play and they don't score mm -hmm. is when it all goes wrong for the Leafs. Instead of being able to say it's working yep. and sustain it, stay on the right side of the puck, keep pushing, they start to they take cheat. more chances. Cheat. They start to start to say, okay, well, you know, we're this close if I just do this. And then you get an overtime in game six of the playoffs where they dominate, 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 and then the other team goes one way and scores. Or they get it in the Montreal series where they dominate and they dominate, dominate, and then fast rush, you know, odd man rush goals over and over and over. And it seems to be for years now that their ability to, ability to stick with it when it's not going in the net is not great. And so I don't know how you get them to do that. <laughs> well, we talk about all the lessons learned, and it feels like, like of all the lessons that have yeah. allegedly been learned all this time, that's the one that needs but to be instilled. this is where I can't help but think of personnel, and you need some of these people who are hockey obsessives like the weird guys like Zach Hyman mm -hmm. who in game 70 you know sorry or 57 still care right. and hit and go to the net like guys who just like play that way without having to be told mm -hmm. you know the Leafs have a ton of talent 
But none of these guys, whether it's Engvall or Kerfoot or Yarncroft or Camp or Tavares or Neil, none of them are naturally dialed no. to just be killers. Anyway, we will talk plenty more. You're saying more. Engvall in there? It's like, yeah, he's kind of the poster child for that. He looks great. He's, he's cruising around, but he just... A little more. There was, in there. there was a great clip uh, the Leafs shared of uh, they were asked the question just like on their way to the rink, who's your favorite person to sit by on the plane? Saw this. And everyone listed a guy or a reason or they banged it out pretty funny. And Engvall was like, I, uh, uh, and then he keeps walking. He goes, I don't know. And then Riley's right behind him and goes, weird. Engvall didn't know weird. You know, yeah, like he, you like, can just this tell. is the guy he is. Like that he's always just kind of like in the clouds. They call him Zoolander sometimes apparently. Well, he's a weapon. He is. Yeah, well, sure. Guys are tall. I'm just as tall as him, by the way. I saw him outside the rink one time. Looked eye to eye. That's great. Height. And then you're a fine-looking guy. Same, but same body. Too. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly the same. All right, we got to get out of here because we're when we get back, we're going to talk to David Amber. Uh, him and I have... That guy and Engvall have the exact well, you same know body. What? Yeah. yeah, you know Yoked. what? DA definitely outbenches Engvall. Amber has a better body than Engvall, Yoked. no doubt. I'm going to ask him what he benches when, he get, <laughs> when we get back. All right, we're going to go to break. When we come back, more Real Kipper and Born and Gunning. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Real Kipper, Gunning, Born, McKee, Brandeo, Rolnick, Sportsnet in general. We've got a whole bunch of people that work hard to bring you this program. So thanks for joining us today. And the stars need to step up. They're not at their best. No, Nick, that does not mean you. Please, I want to come back. Please. It was just a little Sheldon Keefe humor. That's all that was. You're good. You're good okay. to go. Yeah. For sure? Nick can't hear you. He's not going to punch it's fine. Me. He's at his 38th alumni event this year. I'm not sure what alumni he's with today, but... He is not here, but who is here is David Amber, the host of Monday Night Hockey here at Sportsnet. We'll start by saying hello to DA. How you doing, fella? Hey, JB. How are you? You already missed me. I was with you last night. I know. I do miss you. I'm very excited that you happened to join us today. And, um, you know, I, I did want to, uh, to get you to explain to everyone, you know, what's going on with Monday Night Hockey. I'm excited for you. It's a big show. You got a new panel, new little bit of a different... Uh, I think purpose for how to bring hockey to people. What's going on on Mondays? Yeah, you know, we're really excited about it. Um, I think it's an opportunity to present the game really opinion-based, debate-based, conversation-based presentation of the games. Um, You know, we're going to still analyze the games. We have a great players panel. That's what makes it really exciting. It's Cassie Campbell-Pascal Anson Carter and Keith Yandel. And it's really cool, especially to have Keith there simply because he's such a new voice to, uh, you know, hockey broadcasting. And he's just, you know, months away from retiring. I mean, he's still the reigning NHL uh, all-time Ironman, which is a pretty cool thing to have a, a guy with that resume on the um, set with you to, to really give their take again, how the players think and how they feel and, you know, what's, it like to be in these situations and that's what we're really trying to glean from all of them so to me it's a really exciting opportunity and a really good group uh, david azuma's our producer does a great job and kathy broderick's there as well and and she helps kind of keep us on, on in line of, of all the games we're watching and to know all the storylines and i think that's what we're going to try and do and do it in a fun personable way we're going to have a lot of guests we had chris pronger we had shane doan uh for our inaugural show and we're going to have uh, more guests along the way and, and hopefully do something that people find entertaining and informative and, and they enjoy. 
Yeah, that was great, DA. I thoroughly enjoyed the uh, first edition. You know, uh, Leafs results aside, I, I would have liked if you. I don't know if you have any sway in that. If you could have maybe changed that for me, I would have. I would have much more enjoyed that. Uh, I was listening to the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast, and Jeff and Fridge were kind of killing you for being Captain Canada, loving all the Canadian teams. So I figure you're the best guy to ask. I guess the Canucks are the team we should be panicking about the most, but boy, oh boy, there's a lot of panic here, and I, I think there might be a little in Edmonton as well. Uh, some Canadian teams not off to the hot start, and apparently that that would worry you, David Amber. <laughs> well, Brent, my first question to you is, why are you listening to the 32 Thoughts podcast? It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, good, it's a great question. Really spun that one back around on me. Good job by you. Do you have no social life? I mean, what is going on here? No, um, I, don't, I don't. Just so we're perfectly clear, I watch the Leafs, I chase my kid around, and then I go to work. That's about it. You know, it's funny. I say this to Elliot a lot. I say my one of my only claims to fame is I have never listened to the 32 Thoughts podcast. And, it's not, and it is, that is not... And I, I, and you know, it's funny. And I love Jeff Merrick. And I listen to Jeff Merrick's show quite a bit. And I love Elliot, obviously. And I work with Elliot a lot. But I go, I don't listen to any hockey podcast. I sort of, I mean, I listen to your guys live on the air. I don't source it out. I just need to have a bit of space. So I better. I'm digging myself into a hole here, yeah. but I don't listen to a hockey <laughs> podcast. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, but bottom line is, um, to your question. Yeah, well, sorry, what was your question? Uh, Canadian teams and Canadian panicking. teams and panicking. Obviously, yeah. the Canucks are the worst. Um, Leafs, Oilers, where are we at? Yeah, I mean, listen, the Canucks, man, I, I don't even, I just feel so badly for that team. We had Dan Murphy on Hockey Central last night with Justin Bourne and Mike Feud and JB, you heard him. My first thing was like, wow, we're eight days in and it just seems like the world is collapsing. And he's like, eight days, it feels like eight months. And <laughs> I'm sure for those players, it really does right now. I, I'm trying to take a measured approach to this. You know, to lose four games in a row on the road when you had multi-goal leads in every game, it's, it's really unfathomable on, on some levels. But having said that, um, you know, the season's not lost. There's a, ho- a lot of hockey left to be played. You know, if things start to go south, I-, I think a lot of people might question the makeup of the team because we all said, wow, we love the goalie, Thatcher Demko. We love the forward groups, specifically the top six. What they need is a bit more depth forward groups, and most clearly they need more depth and more quality on their blue line. And was that addressed to its fullest? You know, arguably it wasn't. So Vancouver, there's certainly some question marks. Um, You know, Toronto, and we touched on this, and Mike Fuda really leaned in on it last night, sort of saying, you know, the lack of pushback. And they have a guy like Wayne Simmons, who's on their roster, but not getting on the ice. And he's not putting us all on Simmons, but just the idea that you don't have a ton of pushback. We watched Ilya Labushkin last night, absolutely destroy Holloway with a, a very clean, but very hard hit. And to not have Labushkin this year, and now to have lost Jake Muzzin, you know, that blue line um, doesn't have that element, that physical element that you might want. And, and Mark Giordano clearly will get into trenches and, and guys aren't afraid. It's more just, you know, it's it's not the best part of their blue line, right, essentially, so or the biggest part. So there's definitely some questions in the Canadian market. You know, you can do the glass half empty or glass half full, though, right? Calgary looks like one of the best teams in the NHL right now, if not the best team, <clears throat> starting out 3-0. and and, and Edmonton clearly has a dynamic team, and even the Jets are a team to keep an eye on, as is Ottawa. No, it's true. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, it was interesting listening to Futes last night talk about the Leafs, how, you know, Leafs saying the Leafs had it figured out. They had Bogosian and they had all these, you know, sort of more physical guys and right. they didn't stick with that plan because Tavares got, got hurt and a, a playoff series was lost. 
you know, today, DA, we wake up and we hear that Sheldon Keith is walking back his quotes, uh, his criticism of the elite players. You know, what are your mm. thoughts on, I know, on what's going on in Toronto here? Um, you know, I guess Sheldon Keith's pressure, the, you know, some people saying the players, they're, they're too soft on the players. What, what do you think about where things are at here in Toronto? Well, you know, maybe Sheldon, he probably looked at the calendar and said, I, I'm not sure I want to use that bullet on you know, right. night three of the NHL season. The elite players aren't playing elite from. I mean, we see that, you know, has Austin Matthews gotten off to a great start? No. Has Mitch Marner been dynamic? He's been great at times, but he hasn't been maybe what the expectations are. Uh, and, you know, quite frankly, the Leafs need that core four to be dynamic most nights, right? Um you know, it's it, that's going to come down to that, and every team can say that. Last night, McDavid and Drysaitel didn't light it up, and and Edmonton lost to Buffalo. So, what Sheldon keeps said is is true. I think he wants to, you know, insulate his team, and maybe it would be like this is a conversation I can have in closed doors. I don't need to have it in the public. And if Kipper were on, you know, on the show today, he'd probably be saying that. I I'm not sure Austin Matthews or the players want to hear that put out into the media, right? I, it's funny though. I, I appeared on a show uh, a few hours. In fact, it was Tim and Sid a, a couple hours before the, the Leafs game against Arizona and Basil Camisa was in for Tim and said, what are you expecting from the Leafs? Like, what are your expectations for this Leafs game tonight? And I said, I want a blowout. Like, this is the blowout yes, game. This right. is the, everyone gets the cookies, feel good about yep. themselves. We see the juggernaut in action. You know, Matthews lights it up and all the guys light it up. And, you know, they, Arizona had allowed 48 shots per game in their first two games. And the Leafs, even though they had all that great Corsi numbers and possession time and all the rest, at one point, like 12 minutes in, they had three shots on goal. And I'm going, man, what's going on here? So I think we're all waiting for that moment, that big, wow, this is that team we expected. And we haven't got there yet. Yeah, I keep I keep going back to it, and I do think that's what it's going to take to kind of, you know, I want to say turn around the season. Like, it's way too early for that. But that does what feel like can give them the kind of boost they need to, to get running the way this team is is wholly capable of. Uh, you know, you, you you work in the, uh, the Oilers game last night. You mentioned that massive hit. We were talking about that. I'm trying to think of the last time I've seen anybody smoked open ice like that. Like, Jacob Truba has two, three, four massive hits a year, but they aren't just these north-south open ice. Like, I go back to, like, Ovechkin smoking Yager at the Olympics to try to think of the last time I saw that. It's just so rare to see in today's game, David. It is. You know, we long for the days, you know, the Nick Cronwalls who would just line up guys and destroy them. I mean, Mo Sider's got a little bit of that in him. He he can deliver some big hits but you're right they're they're few and far between the the players are so fast the game has changed to some degree and you know if you lay a hit like that like Labushin got up from that hit he also went down it was such a big hit right away he basically almost had the gloves off because he knew he someone was going to come and you know say let's fight I think it was Warren Fogle who came into the defense of um of Holloway so yeah it, I, I miss that element of the game. I, I could do. I don't care the fighting, neither here nor there, to me. But the big open ice hits, um, the physical punishment, and when you do see a hit like we saw from Labushkin last night, it does make you go, "Wow!" I forgot that that could be such an important element to the game. Yeah, that was a, a large one, and one you know would be nice to see here in Toronto. But you can't keep all the toys with the salary cap the way it is. You know, mm-hmm. Ottawa has their you know has had salary cap room, and for the first. 
time, made an effort to use it this offseason. They bring in Giroux to bring it. They don't win a couple right away, but last night, home opener, the 19,000 people, they win 7-5 over the Bruins. You know, they, if, if nothing else, are fun to watch now. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on the, the transition in Ottawa, you know, what they've become here in, uh, you know, over a couple of years? You know, Pierre Dorian had a fantastic offseason, I thought. I, I think he's been really pushing this team in the right direction, not just locking down the Stutzlas and the Kachuks and, you know, obviously Shabbat's locked down. He's got the foundation pieces locked down for long term. I think he's changed the whole mood of, of the city, you know, the hockey fans in that city. There's now optimism for the first time in a number of years. You know, Pierre Dorian, the, the, the day they traded Eric Carlson, um, I have this little geeky binder where I keep all my notes. He said um, he said the word rebuilding 21 times in that press conference. <laughs> and that was just you know four or five years ago. And I don't think you're going to hear the hard word from him too much anymore because they're they're not rebuilding. He got the foundational pieces, and I think you know Brady Kachuk was very clear. We need more, and he said, "I'm going to get you more." And what did he do? He went out. He got to Brinkett, got Giroux. Yeah, they still need a lot more on the blue line. But you know, it's funny watching Shane Pinto score two goals last night, or score his second of the season, I should say, last night. A guy like Pinto is a coveted kind of guy that you might be able to move to get a Jacob Chick Chitrin. You're going to have to make some type of decision. You're going to have to solidify that blue line. But I really like the core pieces there and the fact they surrounded them with some guys who've been in winning situations, certainly in Claude Giroux. Um, I, I like what we're seeing in Ottawa. And, and last night, by the way, guys, on a bigger picture, it was I mean, I'm watching the games with Mike Fuda, and it was one of the wildest nights in the NHL that I can remember. Five different teams uh, blew two-plus goal leads wow. and lost the game. Ottawa blew a three-goal lead, but they won the game. But five other teams blew two goal leads and lost the game. It was nuts, and, um, you know, kind of it's cool that we have that much parity in the league, and we also have, um, you know, teams playing on a bit more offensive level, right? Last year was the most goals we've seen since, I think, 96, and this year might exceed last year, so it's really exciting. I hope that can keep up because, like, we know every coach in the league is saying, no, you got to stop that. We cannot have these high-flying games, and you definitely can't have blowing leads, but, yeah, it, it's always kind of a mix between what the coaches want to see and what makes an entertaining product, and those things aren't always polar opposite from each other, but a lot of times uh, they, they are. You know, just, just picking up on what you said about Ottawa there, it did kind of feel like the turning of a leaf for them last night. Alfie's there, and they're saying it feels like a playoff atmosphere, and you got Kachuk, and everybody's in the lineup, and it's the home opener. It's just... It's it's amazing how a few moves and bringing back a franchise icon like, yes, Dorian did great work this summer. No one's trying to take anything away from him, but the and not tweaks because Giroux, Debrincat, these are important guys, but they are the guys that are there to help the existing core. And then just adding a little Alfreds and sprinkle into the mix. It just kind of changes the whole feel of the night and makes it feel like they're starting anew. And, you know, obviously Melnick and the ownership change or or well, passing out of his hands anyways is kind of played into that as well but it's just it's amazing how new fresh season and things can just feel all new again there i was so pleased brent to see uh, daniel alfredson the the opening puck the ovation for him was fantastic and you know if you were to survey the average ottawa senator fan i mean the favorite all-time ottawa senator is probably daniel alfredson and he means so much to that team. He lives in the community, he's still there. And the fact that he now feels welcome to come back to the rink and maybe that bridge has been, you know, fixed um, that was there. And that's great. 
I mean, he's a great ambassador to the team and really a figurehead for that franchise and what they've meant to the NHL. To have him back does sort of signify maybe, you know, we're turning over a new leaf and we're into a new era with this franchise. And the fact that they've gone from seller, seller, sellers to now buyers um, is really exciting. And if they can just get the wheels in motion, get this rink situation settled, you know, if they ever can get a rink, you know, into Ottawa proper, which is obviously the goal, right. it will really be sensational. I mean, I've been there and it's fun, um, but it is out in Canada and it's just, it's a schlep for a lot of people to get out there. It but uh, that market, that market area is electric at night and there's a lot of, they don't have the legion of fans the way the Leafs do or most of the Canadian markets. It's a smaller city, but they have diehard fans who are very passionate about the team. And I feel good for them now that you can look at this team and you can be pretty damn excited. I mean, the foundational pieces that are there are pretty good. And I say the same thing for Detroit. I'm, I'm excited for the future of Detroit. You looked at Buffalo last night. You know, it's funny, that Atlantic division, it might kind of flip over in the next five years where the, the top heavy teams, the Bostons, the Tampas, et cetera, might be working their way maybe down uh, the standings and those bottom feeders might be moving their way up the standings. So it's pretty cool. I noticed that you said the Bostons and the Tampas mm-hmm. and you didn't mention the Torontos on Atta the Leaf show. That was a savvy Atta call. Boy. <laughs> I'm no fool. I'm no fool. No, um... Well, yeah, I know I didn't, but I mean, look at the look at the age of of Boston's <laughs> right, star yeah, right. players, you know, and 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 listen, this Pasternak thing is no joke. Like, it's going to take. I don't think you're going to get the the typical Don Sweeney. Well, you Discount. know, Bergeron's only making this much, so you're going to slot in. Like he had that for a long time. We saw with McAvoy's contract. I think that day is over. It won't shock me if Pasternak wants to become the highest paid winger in the league. You know, Panarin's exceptional, and he makes totally. eleven six. Pasternak's going to say, show me the money. And in Boston, if they're not prepared to show him the money, uh, you know, if they lose Pasternak, that is a massive, massive hole knowing the age of Bergeron and, and Marchand, et cetera. So, you know, we'll wait and see. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, bring their demise before. before Feel free to. I have no problem with it. (laughs) (laughs) They're still a formidable team, but you know, two, three years from now, unless the right dominoes fall into place, let's see where the Bruins are in Tampa. You know, it's been, I'll never sleep on a team that has Vasilevsky and Hadman and Kucherov right. and Stamkos. Mm-hmm. By the way, Stamkos, oh my God. And I know oh, Kipper's a massive fan of him. More. I know. How, how good a story is that, guys? Right? Like, yeah. remember the injuries four or five years ago? You're like, mm, I wonder if that's it for him. Like, literally, a lot of people weren't saying that loudly, but there was whispers like, ooh, you know, these are devastating injuries. And, and what has he done since then? You know, the two Stanley Cups, uh, what, 106 points last year, one of yeah. the, you know, one of his best offensive seasons. He's closing in on 500 goals. He's closing in on 1,000 points. It's an incredible story. And he's, he's right now looking, you know, like one of the top players in the league. It's, it's fantastic. It is fantastic. And it's fantastic that you've joined us. And I'm excited about your new show. And uh, thanks for, for coming on today, DA. We appreciate it. Guys, anytime. I really appreciate it. I always love working with you, Borny. Um, get you on TV. You're a little too handsome for my liking because, you know. <laughs> you, do you, do you, we'll just start doing uglier, the show but, shirtless uh, and people, they'll, they'll pick a preference to you pretty quick. Don't worry, buddy. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. Be well, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.
David Amber. I'm happy that, that hockey. We were be and it's all true, but there's too too much sense positivity, and I know I let him there, <laughs> but I didn't like that. It's all true. Like no lies were spoken. I'm happy we could move on to other things like Pasternak ringing the yeah. bell, and no longer being a Bruin, and then just general Stamkos respect. Always. always I uh, I actually wrote a little bit today, like my ten preseason reactions. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that earlier. Um, one of them is that Pasternak is going to cost them a bajillion dollars. He is. I'd love to 26 see years old. He had 40 goals last year in his sleep, missing 10 games. He has a Rocket Richard trophy already. He's dangling. He's got eight points in four games this year. He's like, there's, you look at Nathan McKinnon just got 12.6. Pasternak was also wildly underpaid for years. Mm-hmm. He's been making 6 million, yep. 6.6 or something like that. So he's owed a little back pay too. You cannot convince me he's getting paid less than Mitch Marner or Austin Matthews. No. Right now, I think no. he's, he's make $11 million easily per season. You think? I do. I don't know. Well, so, okay. What's the case against he, giving him Panarin money? So this isn't the case against it. And these what are does Panarin di- make? Does he make 11, money? 11, oh, he does. I think he's like 11. Oh, well, yeah. then for sure then. Yeah. Well, because the, th- the, the only way that this goes differently, and I think that some people would point to, now these are completely different circumstances, guys older, is what happened. 11-6. What just happened with Nazem Kadri. Now, as a guy who's coming off a career year, but I think a big reason that Jonathan Huberto signed the deal he did with the Flames is because he saw what happened with Nazem Kadri and said, Mm-mm, I don't want to be sitting here waiting for musical chairs and saying, I need a good team to play on that has a $10 million yeah. hole in their cap to fit me in. So that's the only, that's the only. Kadri's like, 32. No, no. I, Pasternak I, has six I, seasons I com- before that. I completely understand that, but <laughs> yeah. I think that a, Part of the reason why Huberto jumped at yeah. the at the chance is uh, I don't want to be sitting here playing musical chairs and having to take a chair that I don't necessarily want to go to. So yep. I'm not saying he's not going to get the money, yeah. but I think that I think that there are some people a touch gun shy of getting to UFA because of what happened. I wonder. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. You know, I, I do think another thing in Pasternak's favor though is what Gary Bettman said yesterday, which is yeah. something I'm glad to bring up now. Please. Natural seg is the host here. No big deal. Gary Bettman yesterday announces that, well, he I don't know if he announced it or Elliot reported it. I don't know where it came from, whatever. Um, that the NHL, sell, the escrow could be paid back to the owners this season and the cap could go up $4 million next season. That's massive. Massive. I want to thank Commissioner Gary Bettman. From- <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? That was Biden. That's Biden. Oh. <laughs> Gary Bettman. <laughs> Gary Bettman. Love it. Old Joe. No, it's no old Steve. Joe. It's Scott, no Steve Zerman. So Simmons is old. He can't go home because he hates his wife. It's no Steve Zerman. It's pretty Steve good though. Steve Zerman. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one too. But you know, four million dollars is significant news for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Massive. You you're, just your 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 Labushkin point. There it is, right there. Mm-hmm. Done. You can keep players, like you know, including the raises that are due in not too distant future no, to Matthews that, and Elander. That's to me. It's not even really worth talking about. Four million bucks for the lease. This is the dumbest response I've ever heard. Earlier this. before the show, he said it doesn't matter this. that the cap would go four million. It because every, it's just everything. It's just every co- convert- well, how much more is it going to cost them to sign Matthews? Per year? If it costs four million dollars no, no, more, you get to keep your team. But they're but they're still going to have to get rid of all these guys that like there's probably not going to be able to no, resign. No, they won't. They're, this is literally the difference mm, between keeping your team know. and not. Me, and it if it goes up four million this year, that doesn't mean it's going to take another big leap after that. But once the once again once the back pay of escrow is paid off, then we're back to normal business here. So I I agree, McKee. I understand what you're saying. Of that money is just going to get go to Matthews. Yeah. Okay. Great. You have the money. Make $15 million a year. Great. You have the money. And to if it play doesn't go the... up, then you have to trade everyone else. Exactly. Yes. I cannot believe that. Now you get to keep your players. But it's not, it's not news? It's news. No doubt. It's news. But I, I just. 
I think four million bucks is just going to get allocated, and they're just going to have the same bottom six that they always do. A bunch of guys that they just bring in. And well, out. that's fine. And it's just going to look the exact same as that's it always fine, does. It's going to be if, no different. If the cap doesn't go up, he's still getting that raise, and then they go, okay, we got to get oh, rid. Oh, they're of just going to pay these, no these other guys in the bottom. They'll just you know bring in some new schlubs for the bottom six that they always do. Just bring in some new guys, and it's going to look exactly this the same. This is the most I can't believe this. nihilistic. Like ah, uh, nothing matters. It like doesn't. no, this is significant. As long as, as, long as, as, long as those four guys are here, the bottom, the bottom six is just never going to be different. It's always just going to be the same guys that they bring in I and can out. tell you what happens if the cap goes up yeah. one million instead of four. It's worse. Yes. Mm. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's true. I guess, I guess you're right. It just doesn't, it doesn't move the needle as much as I think it, I, you want it to for me. Well, it definitely isn't for you, but it, I think for Kyle Dubas, if you say you're either going to have one million in cap space or four, I think it is a, a big difference in team building and what they're able to do. Not to mention next year, you still have Matthews on this salary. Mm-hmm. You still have Nylander on this salary. That's actually money you can use for next year's hockey team yep. before those raises kick in, which, you know, now you're talking about adding players, something the Leafs haven't thought about doing in a while. And in talking about adding players, they could use a couple. They could. They could. Like, Cal Yarncroke was the big bet. The fact that that's the big bet, like, that kind of says the pool they're swimming around in. And if they had an extra $4 million, all of a sudden it's not that, that just, player you're looking at. I just, you know. You keep Buncey versus losing him. We're trying to sell McKee. <laughs> We're trying to sell him here. I'd just be heartbroken. We've turned on Bunting? <laughs> not me. Never. Oh, games? Never. Never. Listen, never. Listen. Oh, he's really no. I'll I'll show you the texts I get during games. And I just fifty-eight. This guy just thinks he's Tucker. It drives me nuts. It's a t- It's tough. I, I I do think he's best with self-awareness when he knows he's a good third four, third line second line guy who mm-hmm. can who can score great offensive sense. I think he's a really, really intelligent does. player. Um, you know, would just happen to be a perfect fit on a team that spent all its money on four guys and needs someone cheap to play in the top line. I think they probably see the attention that Mr. Michael Bunting is getting getting after his season. And I think they probably are keeping it within the house. They probably have a conversation every so often that Keith and Dubas are probably like, yeah, you know, maybe bunt them, bunt them down a little bit here. Maybe oh, I he's, think in, so. he's, he's in, he's in Tim Hortons sure. commercials. They said, Sorry, who's in the commercial with Tim, Nylander yeah. and Matthews He's in Tim Hortons commercials. Bunting? Everybody, you know, he's read his own press clipping, Scarborough guy. I, I, I do think there's a little bit to the fact that they got to keep him within his own capabilities. Yeah, it's a life thing, right? Yeah, I mean, that's no, fine. no one wants anyone getting too Who big. Pops papers. their head up a little bit. You get smacked. <laughs> we've, all been there. we've all been there, and we will I all work be with there Kipper. again. It happens all the time. Um, <laughs> Speaking, <laughs> no, we love him. We love him, but you know, again, I love Michael Bunting more than anybody. That's right. Okay, but team Bunting over here. Uh, we are going to go to break. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of this at the end of the show. Up next, though, we're going to talk with Haley Salvian of Sportsnet. I'm just calling her of Sportsnet. She's on Sportsnet all the time. That's where she Done. should be. She does a terrific job. I look forward to speaking with her, and we will be doing that momentarily after this break. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptors Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Real Kipper, Born and Gunning and Rolling, and Blanet Brandeo and McKee and Toman. I don't know, everyone else that works here. Give uh, him some credit, please. Yeah, this is a great job. Um, 
You know, really, really nice talking with DA and getting to talk some positive Ottawa Senators things. I know you enjoyed that. It's okay. <laughs> nice, for, nice for the people of Ottawa. Sure. It is great. The bo- I have a buddy and he was there and I saw him. He was like walking. It looked like he was at the Field of Dreams. You have to like walk through a corn patch wherever he was parked to get to the Senator's barn. And it did look awesome. And I'm happy for that one guy, Nick. If you're out there listening, not Kipper, but my buddy, good for you. But everybody else. I didn't need that. That was too much positive. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, The good news is, speaking of positivity, we are now joined by Haley Salvian, national hockey writer for The Athletic, our our own uh, co-worker at Sportsnet. Haley, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. I was going to join you guys in person until I heard that I would need to be there until 5, and I refused to drive home at 5 o'clock. Uh, we we no. might have just this been discussing fine. that. Yeah. That's hilarious. We literally yeah. had this conversation. Gunner lives in Burlington. He's like, yeah, I'll get home by 6, what time? Yeah. 6.15? Yeah, something, something like that. that. If yeah. I'm home, Three anything, anything earlier than 7 <laughs> is gravy. So, yeah, two hours. Yeah, no, no. Well, we'll, I'm halfway home, so thanks for having me. Next time we'll have you on like 3 o'clock right off the top so you can yeah. you can join us in studio. Um, Perfect. I read your uh, your most, most recent Leafs writing. It was nice to see you doing a little bit of Leafs work too. You know, obviously we are a Leafs show like everyone. I wanted to get your take on what's going on in Leafland these days. Uh, crisis, do you think they should burn it all down? What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, it's funny you introduced me as, you know, speaking of positivity, I think some Leafs fans are like, wow, uh, who's the new negative Leafs reporter <laughs> at the Athletic because the the two games that I've really kind of honed in on and, and wrote about was the two losses that the Leafs have had first against uh, first one at home op- the season opener excuse me against Montreal and then this last one against Arizona and you know you can only kind of write about what you see and, and things haven't been great those two games I think in terms of the overall I mean I'm one of the ones who thinks everyone needs to maybe take an inhale, you know, take a breath. I, I don't I don't think Sheldon Keefe is one of the coaches that's on the, the really, really hot seat to start the season. Um, we know that he's Kyle Dubas's guy, and, it's, again, it's only four games in here. But I do think that we need to consider some of the things that might be um, going wrong early on. Again, keeping in mind that it is really early for the Leafs, I mean – uh, the, the top line hasn't maybe been as effective relative to what we saw from them last year when we're looking at Bunting, Matthews, and Marner. Um, they've been on the ice for three goals, four at five on five, and three against at five on five. So they're pretty much, uh, you know, a net, not a net negative, but they're they're giving up as much as they're they're getting for the Leafs. I mean, the top guys you want to talk about. If Sheldon Keefe is using his bullets, um, he's calling out the top guys. Uh, he's not necessarily wrong when he's saying that his best players didn't get the job done against Arizona. Um, you know, Mitch Marner got a goal. William Nylander got a goal. I thought Nylander's had a really good start to the season as much as people maybe um, have comments or commentary about his defensive game. I think Nylander's been, been fine. He's had some good goals, but I think you look at you know, Austin Matthews has one goal to start the year. Uh, John Tavares has one goal to start the year. Mitch Marner has one goal to start the year. Morgan Riley's been on the ice for seven goals against right. for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and Austin Matthews has one five-on-five point. Um, you know, this is a we all know about the cap situation. We all know how this roster is constructed. Um, some of the depth guys haven't quite been there, save for maybe Kerfoot and Kelly Arncroft's been okay, but the fourth line. 
I mean, they basically got benched against the Arizona Coyotes after starting the game because they were ineffective in all three zones. So if the depth is not going to be there, um, they need those top guys who are paid to get the job done to get the job done. And, and I don't know if we've seen that. I thought the top line was really good and Matthews was really good against Washington. Um, but this is why I say it's early. It's really hard to to say all these things and think like, yeah, they're in trouble um, because Austin Matthews isn't going to shoot under 5% right. all season. He's had 21 shots on goal, one goal. Like, that's not going to happen all year. So, well, I think there's issues, and, I mean, Muzzin's out, and, and you've got the goaltending issues. You're already starting Eric Schalgren because you need to rest Ilya Samsonov because Matt Murray's on LTAR. There's a lot of bad stuff going on in Toronto, so I get some of the panic, but I think we also need to calm down. <laughs> Yeah, I was with you yeah. until you listed off all those reasons. And now I'm like, no, actually, I think it is big time time to panic. Wait, no, I, yeah. no, I see I see what you're saying. Because when you look at the Matthews thing, I, as as much as I'm sitting here going, he doesn't look like himself. The shot doesn't, it looks more or less the same, but he's not shooting it in the net. The way he's able to handle the puck, it felt like it was a magnet on his blade last year. And it just hasn't been. But I genuinely think that's all going to figure itself out. He will find his level as the season goes on. But when you mention the decor, you know, Morgan Riley, he's had a rough start, and it feels like it is always feast or famine with Morgan Riley. It's, oh, terrible, terrible start yeah. to the year, signs contract extension. Look at Mo, he's playing great hockey, back to struggling Riley. Like, it just seems like it's always complete celebration or complete panic, and I don't know that it's wrong or those are over overreactions. Muzzin is out for some time. If you read the Marner quotes today, He's talking about if he's back this year. I think that, to me, is where the real concern is. And, you know, goaltending is yeah. what it is. But I don't I don't think we're going to have an answer for, well, hopefully Samsonov can stay healthy and stop some pucks. So what do you make of the decor? <laughs> like, do you think that there is a world where this group kind of s stabilizes itself and find its way? Or do you, do you have big-time concerns as the year goes on? Well, it's tough, right, because you're looking at, some of the issues that we've seen um, with Morgan Riley, as you mentioned, it is that feast or famine, and he's been on the ice for, for seven goals against at five-on-five. Five. I do think you have to look at what his on-ice save percentage has been, too. That's been, I, I think, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think it's at 80%. Um, and there's been more goals, like, more goals allowed versus the expected goals against when Riley's on the ice. So some of that can be chalked up to goaltending, and that is going to be um, one of the big things is, you know, sure, they can try to keep guys to the outside or they can do their best to block shots and, and, and limit high-danger chances against. But if you can't get a save, then, yeah, goal, then defenders are going to be on the ice for a lot of goals against. So I think you have to, to look at it that way. Um, I think the worry with the blue line for, for as long as Jake Muzzin's out, and, and again, you know, we're talking about a player who has not had a perfect start to the season. Um, you know, there's been some goals against that came right off of Jake Muzzin's stick. If you're talking about a failed clear or he's bobbling the puck or he's made a mistake in the defensive zone, him and Justin Hall haven't had a great start to the season as a Leafs second pair. Um, but there, you know, it's, it's, there is a worry for the Leafs or fans if Jake Muzzin's out for a long period of time. Because as long as Muzzin's out, we're looking at a situation with the Leafs where you're either divvying up his ice time to TJ Brody and Morgan Riley and 39-year-old, 38-year-old uh, Mark Giordano, or you're looking at a second pair that is 
you know, Geo Hall in the third pair. That is Rasmus Sandin and Victor Mete, who cleared waivers last week. And then, and I mean, the only reason they had enough money to call him up was because the LTIR room with Matt Murray. So um, it's a blue line on paper that's not looking great. Um, can they get them to keep guys the outside and limit attempts against? Sure. Um, but I, I guess. That is the worry. That's the big question. You know, what does the bottom four look like on paper, and and how do they perform? Um, again, is it is Victor Mete going to step up and and have a great stretch here with Muzzin out? Um, is are we going to see Hall and Giordano together? Um, maybe you put Justin Hall in the third pair with Victor Mete, and you kind of give those guys mostly offensive zone shifts. Um, and shelter them and play them a little bit less. And then you keep um, Giordano and Rasmus Sandin, who've been okay on the third pair. I think I think Gio's fine. I'm a really big fan of what he provides. I think he's a really good, steady defender, despite, um, you know, people bringing up his age, even though I just did that. Um, so maybe your top four is, is TJ Brody and, and Morgan Riley and Mark Giordano and Rasmus Sandin, and you kind of bury that third pair. I'm not sure what they're going to do in, in the long run or how long Muzzin's out. But I think, yeah, I think there are some concerns when you're looking at the Leafs from the back end and out, when you're looking at the blue line and the goaltending. Bleak. Very bleak. I share your inability to, or sorry, your ability to, we have to talk about this stuff and it's not positive, right? So I get a lot of that in my Twitter feed too, that being too negative. I, I understand where you're coming from. One of the things that... um is positive is another team that you talk about fairly often, the Calgary Flames. Uh, their decor significantly better, I would say, than the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, off to a pretty good start in Calgary. Um, th- does it look like this will be a team that's better than last season's version? Yeah, I think when you're talking about the negativity, I do feel bad because I don't. I don't know. I don't. You're a truth sp- speaker. Really- Tell like you see it. I'm just- but I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I'm really not trying to be negative. No, you're not. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that that is the big picture question when you're looking at the Calgary Flames, right? You know, this is a very different team, a different version of the Flames. And the big question from the summer on has been, are they better? And, and I've been kind of consistent. I, I think that the Flames are going to take a step back in certain ways. You know, you're not going to have a top line that scores 71 goals at 5-on-5. Five five. You know, they might not have the best top line in the league this season, but I think the Flames are going to be better in ways that are important when it matters the most. I think they are a team that's better constructed top to bottom this season. Um, we talk about that top line. I think there was a lot a lot of times last season where I was writing about how they need more consistent secondary scoring when I was on the Flames beat and how it can't always be Johnny Gaudreau and Elias Lindholm and Matthew Kachuk scoring the big goals and winning the Flames hockey games because there was a lot of times when that was the case. And I thought last night against Vegas um, was kind of the perfect example of this team being better in those ways. The top line did not score. They have not scored at 5-on-5 five five yet this season off 2-3. And it'll start for Calgary against some pretty big Western Conference contenders in Colorado, Edmonton, and Vegas. Um, and, yeah, we're talking about a group that's 3-0 and with the top line that hasn't scored 
at five on five yet. And I thought last night, um, you know, the fourth line was really good. There was some perfect fourth line ozone shifts by Brett Ritchie and Kevin Rooney and Milan Lucic. They drew four penalties in the second period, four of the six penalties that Vegas took. And then the top guys came out in the top power play and you see Foley and Lindholm score on those opportunities. And it's Michael Backlin who gets the game winner. So, we're looking at a game one against a, you know, what many people think is going to be a Western Conference uh, playoff team again in Vegas. If they can stay healthy, that's a game one based on their bottom six having a really good game um, and the power play finishing it off. And I don't know if last season we would have said that against a team like Vegas. It would have been Johnny Gaudreau um, winning the game on his stick or Kachuk doing something or Markstrom stealing the game. Um, So I think last night was a great example of the Flames being better and deeper and more impactful up and down the lineup. And I do think that their blue line is, is very, very good. I think they've got two. I think they, when it's all said and done, once the chemistry is there, I think they will have two top pairs. I think Tanev and Weaker maybe still working it out. They've been on the ice for some goals against, um, but Weaker's in a new system. Tanev's with a new D pair. He's playing with a right shot guy next to him, which is different than the last couple years for him. Um, but I think once they start working that out, you're going to have Hannafin and Anderson as, as a top pair, and you're going to have Tanev and, and Weaker with the ability to do that as well. And, and they've got really good goaltending in Markstrom. And yeah. Dan Bladar. So I think the Flames are, are looking pretty good this year. I think I think they will be better when it matters. Yeah, I agree with all that. Man, you mentioned a bottom six, winning them a game, uh, you know, to uh, make it all about the Leafs all the time here. The, David, Camp's line <laughs> didn't, should. David Camp's line didn't win this team <laughs> games, but he allowed Austin Matthews and those guys to go win them games. Like the way they utilized that third checking line, it was just such a force at times for them, and they haven't found it here. You know, Haley, you're kind of the perfect person to ask about this because, you know, Sheldon Keefe, uh, I think it's fair to say, or at least the way things have played out, that maybe he stepped in it a little bit, criticizing his star players after the loss to the Arizona game today. He kind of walks back some of those comments and in my mind, I immediately drew a line to Sutter in Calgary. Now, granted, Sutter has accomplished a ton in this league and I think that gives you a lot more rope to say some things, but man, he is very critical, not tiptoeing around it, not saying, oh, my players could have been better, saying, well, he's not good. What was the quote he had about Sean Monaghan's like 500th game? I hope it's better than 499. Like, this is a guy who is blunt and critical when he needs to be. And just what do you think it is about Sutter that allows him to be that way? Do you think it's some of the markets he's operated in? Do you think it's his aw shucks demeanor? Do you think what he's accomplished? Is it a mix of all of those? What is it about him? Yeah, I remember that. It was Johnny Gaudreau. Oh, Gaudreau, and, okay. Uh, yeah, Even worse, that actually. That was one of the ones where you're like, oh, oh my. Um, no, you know what? I, I know that there is, you know, I think a lot of people like to watch the Daryl Sutter press conferences and laugh when he's got that bite and he's being really short. Because um, he can be, he can be really feisty and he will send a message through the media when he wants to. And that's the thing with Daryl is, is he's not going to go there if he does not want to. Like, you can ask Daryl a question, and he won't even, like, <laughs> acknowledge what you ask, and he will say what he wants to talk about. Sometimes he'll just shut you down. Sometimes he'll go there. It's all about the messaging that he wants to get across. And I think the thing with Daryl um, that maybe, uh, I don't even want to say allows that to happen, because, again, he's going he's gonna to do what he wants. He's, he's a winning coach. He's a proven coach. Um, I don't think you're ever going to hear anything through the media that the player isn't already aware of right from 
the horse's mouth. I think that's the one thing when you talk to players that have played for Daryl Sutter, um, whether you appreciate what he brings, whether they hated playing for Daryl, you always know where you stand with Daryl Sutter. It's very, very black and white. So if Daryl Sutter is telling me tomorrow that he thinks you know, Blake Coleman needs to be better. Blake Coleman knows it because Daryl told him first. Um, you know what your role is. You know where you stand. You know where you need to be better. You know what you need to do. Um, and that's the thing that, you know, across the board I've heard from players. It's, it's pretty easy to know what you're supposed to do night in and night out when you play for Daryl Sutter because he makes it very, very clear. Um, so I think that's it. I think the fact that he is a winning coach, that he is a proven coach, he gets results. Um, is part of it. I think he's he's the guy that, you know, the Calgary Flames knew that they needed to bring him in because he can push the right buttons. He gets the best out of his players based on, you know, what he knows they need to do, uh, what it takes to win in terms of systems and individual play. I mean, the Flames are a really good puck possession team. Um, they're a team that's going to thrive on the fork check, they're going to thrive in terms of being really good defensively. Um, you think of the perfect Daryl Sutter teams. You think of the L.A. Kings. He's blunt. Um, they're a suffocating team at their best to play against under Daryl. Um, so I think the fact that people have seen what he does work is is what makes all of that. I, guess, I don't even want to say okay because I'm sure there's I'm sure there's people who have played for Daryl who've seen the things in the media and go, God, I hate that, or that's embarrassing, or, or that sucks. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure of it. Because, um, yeah, it's not fun to get grilled. I think anybody can speak to that, um, whatever their job is. But, you know, it worked. And I will say again, like if, if Daryl's saying it to the media, that guy probably heard it from Daryl, um, either right after or before. All right. Well, we appreciate your insight on all this. It's good to get the uh, cross team view of things. So thanks so much, Haley. Appreciate your time. <laughs> Go write some more negative stuff about yeah. the Leafs now. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm not trying to. I don't know. Uh, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Fun game. <laughs> thanks, guys. Yeah. Uh, I am fascinated by the idea of a power imbalance between coaches and players. You know, you talk about Daryl Sutter mm-hmm. and those guys would have heard it from the horse's mouth. And Probably way, standing next to a horse. I was going to say, maybe yeah. literally a horse, perhaps <laughs> cattle, uh, knowing Daryl. But it is fascinating because you have other coaches, and obviously Sheldon Keefe is the relevant party here that we're mm-hmm. discussing. But I think of when Jeremy Colleton was handed the Chicago Blackhawks. Right. So, like, Joel Quenville's out. Yep. Kane and Taves have three Stanley Cups, mm-hmm. e- cups each. Jeremy, I think he's younger than me. We played on the same team in the American League. I remember he's, he's like a lot of it about how young he is. Yes. Yeah. And so he goes in to be the coach, and they're like, who the no, hell are you? No. Yeah, you're not in charge. Like, well, this is our you show. You stand back there if you want. And in fairness to Taves and Kane, it's their show. Yeah. So, you know, when, when Sheldon Keefe comes in, and these guys have their contracts and their superstars and the promise of glory that mm-hmm. came with Matthews and Marner. Boy, did it. You know, there's a, a power where it, it, it's not a power imbalance necessary. It's just a differently paced, placed power. Yep, Totally. I know exactly what you're getting at there. And that's, that's the, this is one of the things that, and people roll their eyes when I say this stuff all the time, but this is a classic example of it being true. It is harder to do certain things in a market like Toronto. I think the idea of Toronto is a hard market to play in is a touch overstated, but it is something like this where these comments, if they are in 29 other markets, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe that's not even enough. It's a nothing burger. And we kind of got there today where eventually, okay, this is probably a little overstated. 
But we did have the, I don't know, five-hour news cycle about it or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And for a guy like Sheldon Keefe, who is still learning to be a coach at this level, and he, I would imagine he would tell you that. He is accomplished. He is he knows he's an NHL coach now, but there are you, much as he wants his players to get better every day, I imagine he wants to get better every day. And I think that those are still times where one or two times a season, to go back to the New York comments from last year, where it's just a little different here, and you have to be maybe a touch more careful depending on the the gravitas or the tenure that you have in a place. Yeah, and I get that with the market. I, I'm fascinated by, by the idea of, like, how easy is it to implement your message if you're not the person... In, with the most power. Like mm -hmm. if Sheldon went to Brandon Shanahan, Kyle Dubas and said, Mitch Marner's got to go. Or if Mitch Marner went to those two guys and said, Kyle or Sheldon Keith has to go. Which one of them is more likely to get their way? Yeah. It's Marner. It's Marner. hundred percent. It's Marner. You know, so it, and it probably sh should, be and Marner. it probably should yes. be. That's fine. Yes. Yep. But if you look at a lot of other market markets where if it's Dale, Daryl Sutter, or if it's, you know, I go through the list of NHL coaches, um, you know, Cooper. thinking in uh, Cooper, exactly, in Tampa Bay, and you think of some guys like that, they're, they can, they have the authority, they have the power to bench you, to sit you, to trade you, players are more likely to have to fall in line, you know, and I, I again, I, I'm actually looking at the list of NHL head coaches, you've actually seen more older guys hired, Yeah. Um, you know, Daryl Sutter's in, got a job, Bruce Boudreau does, uh, Rick Bonus. Torts is back. Torts is back. You know, so I wonder, I wonder how differently it is coaching when you're not the one with the most authority. Yeah. You know, Scary. that's a, a unique situation here in Toronto. Yeah, it really is. And it's, uh, boy, I, 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 don't, I don't think it'd be very much fun to find out. But no. that's why they get paid the big bucks. That's right. Uh, so one of the decisions that he, Sheldon Keefe, can make and has made is with their D pairs. I believe we have uh, his commentary, uh, Sammy, on, uh, on the D pairs. Let's talk, about, let's talk about those for a moment, shall we? Well, we just wanted to get a look. It's a, it's a chance to move Rasmus back to his to his uh, natural side. Um, Matej Jordan and all had spent time, you know, through camp together. Uh, it's just a, a look that we wanted to see. We for for now, we wanted to keep Riley and Brody together to have one consistent pair there, rather than uh, going with three different pairs, three new players uh, pairs here. And I expect the guys will move around when the game actually begins, but. So there we go. We got some uh, some interesting D pairs for the Toronto Maple Leafs now. I you know hearing Haley talk about the the D pairs, it's like yeah, I, I tough to feel super confident right now in any of them. No, honestly, I mean Riley and Brody, like Keith said, the fact that an answer includes well, you'd like to have one pair that stays together tells you everything you yeah. need to know about this group right now. They have been you know so much of that pair has been about what Brody's been able to do. For Riley, and mm -hmm. I think that that's been important. Morgan Riley, especially given the contract extension, he is still your number one D. You need him to be that guy. But I do wonder if we get to a point where we say, and this is the problem with the Muzzin injury and with Sandine's play up to this point this year, I do wonder if we get to a point where you say, well, what could Brody do for somebody else? But Sandine hasn't played well enough to prove, hey, give me a little extra. I can mm -hmm. handle more. And that's what it all goes back to. So I do like the idea of keeping that top pair together. I'm happy Sandine's back on his regular side playing the left. I... I understand the idea of players have to, especially players at the bottom of the lineup, have to do roles that they're not necessarily completely comfortable with or outside of their purview. But if you want a guy to take a leap, and based on Muzzin's health, you need him to take one, I think it makes all the sense in the world to bump him back to his correct side. I, I love it for Sandine. You know, 
when we say nothing matters but the regular season, <laughs> what we mean really is, you know, obviously you have to make the playoffs yes. and the games matter, but you have some leeway to try a few different things. If if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. What kills me about the Coyotes game yeah. is you didn't go down trying something or nope. whatever. Matthews and Marner, they played like 25 minutes in that game. It would have been the night to put Marner on defense. Yeah. If there was ever a night. Right. And Cousin this, goes down, throw 16 back there, see what the hell happens. Go do it. But this is the thing with Sandine right now where it's like you, you mentioned you need someone to take a step. He's had a slow start. He doesn't look good on his offside. No. You know. Do you remember the game? Detroit, Riley and him were a pair. And Keith, Keith, who, <laughs> Keith who takes everything of, well, you know, you want to look at the tape and see if they're right away. Throw that in the garbage. Awful. Never give it garbage. to me again. Yeah. Stop that. <laughs> Don't want it. So this is a chance to, all right, you get Sandine back on his side. And if I'm Sandine, my thought is like, can you promise me? Like two or three weeks here. Yeah. Like, you know, because it feels a little weird. Okay, I'm back on this side. You know, just give me, let me get used to it again. Let me, so I, I really feel like they got to give him a chance to take the step. And what, it's one of the reasons I like that he's on the second power play unit tonight. You yep. know, he's a guy who's shown he can, you know, handle the puck from the point on the, on the people. With the nine seconds he'll get when the, when the first <laughs> units is still yeah. out there at I, the end. I'm, now the second <laughs> unit comes out. The, I, I, just 10 seconds that's what left I There we go. That's I don't, what I wanted. He doesn't miss a beat, Brandon. I'm very, very concerned looking at the Leafs' depth chart defensively. I know, and it's like, do you feel better if Carl Dahlstrom's not hurt? Also, or Victor Mete is wearing number 98, which concerns me deeply as well. Too high? What are you doing? McGillney? <laughs> no, he was 89. 98. 89, right. <laughs> That's right. You're a D-man. You're playing in the third pair. <laughs> oh, thanks, put Dad. On, put like, on number two and be done with it, pal. old school 98. take. 98. Oh, why don't they just give take. him Muzzin's eight until that's, he comes back? That's not an old school take. That is a yes, hot shot number a to be wearing. Like, Kubel wearing 96 in the fourth line is already rubbing me the wrong way. 98 as a at third least, pair. At least he's fast, though. Like, yeah, he, is, he is fine. No, 98 is nuts as a D-man. Uh, you know, it's such a <laughs> one of those things where, like, my logical brain allows me to be like, that's a dumb take. Yeah. It does not matter. No. You know, whatever. There's it, no cool. It does no, matter, he's right. It does. He's right. It does matter in hockey culture because there are certain numbers. I would be and- hammering him for that if I was on the other Like, nice number, Hotshot. What are you doing? <laughs> Did you just get called up today? Like, what are you? 69, yeah, you know? Honestly, like, you 98. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Yeah, that's okay. Maybe it's we- one away from Gretz. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Did they not have that exact take about Pooley Arvin? Yes, in and it was right. And it was right. I don't usually agree with the, you know, the Edmonton Oilers beat media. Let's just say that. <laughs> I don't necessarily see eye to eye with them, but yeah. Pooley Arby wearing 98 in Edmonton was one of the most obscene things. And then they, he's like, he switched to 13. And it's so like, funny see? that 99 is so good, you can't even get close can't to it. Can't get close to it. 97. Connor's make, allowed. Yes, I will accept 97. That's the year he was born, right? Yes. Mm. Is there a more unlikely number than TJ Brody wearing 78? No. Like, is he not the most number two player he you've really ever does seen? He feel like single digit, <laughs> snapping it around. He would look great in eight as well, just eight. It's funny. This is an, a side conversation we can have. You just mentioned TJ Brody. It is remarkable how little we talk about the top pairing defenseman, TJ Brody. We never have a Brody conversation. Doesn't make ever. mistakes. He doesn't, I, I, he wish, just, I wish there I had like some computer program that tagged use of names throughout the years. It'd be fascinating to know because you're right. Dead last. Dead last. You know who we never talked about? Zach Hyman. Ever, ever, ever. We never talked about him except to say, yeah. hey, you know, good game. He goes and gets the puck or whatever. TJ Brody is that guy where you're like, yeah, he's fine. Yeah. 
It's fine again. It's it's because it's like the one time you mention him, it seems like, and he will have like two or three of these a year. We'll have like a beautiful stretch pass. Yeah. And that sets up Willie to go in. And then we say, hey, what a great goal by Nylander. But it's like for the guy who is the most steady player on the position of outside of goaltender, the greatest need for this team, yep. specifically the right side, yep. for him to just go, yep, uh, per, a guy who's perfectly paid, good job, uh, let's never talk about it ever again. And the greatest irony of, of us never talking about him is the exact guy is Justin Hall, who's like the same right shot, tall, right mm-hmm. side D, stay at home guy, and we talk about him every well, single day. Because he makes the big mistake. He's well, he the guy that he makes doesn't the make the big mistake. He does. He's a good, solid player. And like you've you've laid it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's had where people are like, he's been awful, and you laid it out. It's like, actually, he's really good with the stick and he makes yeah. good reads, mm-hmm. he kills penalties. But, but he has a tendency, like yeah, he did yeah, against yeah. Arizona. That's why he makes two not five. And he just, you know throws a pickle right up the middle and, you know, it goes in the back of your net and you go down 3-2 to the worst team in the what league. What did you say to me about that play? Oh, it was actually it was actually McKee. I was arguing with about it. I was, I was you know, killing him, Hall, a little bit for yeah. not making that play. And, well, you know, it's tough play, rolling puck. And, you know, and I say, well, much like a goaltender with a tip shot, you are allowed to stop it. Like, I know it's tough, but it's a tough play. Yeah. You're, you make two sheets a year. You're in the I, NHL. I you're allowed, you're allowed to make hard to make plays. It. I hate rolling pucks on the boards. In well, hockey. are you? Are you? Yes. Yeah, me too. Do it's, you make two sheets a year? No, I didn't. I think pay so. two sheets a year to play. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks, Camly. Um, yeah, uh, it's I uh, pay for the showers and the beer. That's what I pay for. Anyways, um, I just I think that was a hard play that he coughed it up, and I know I'm killing him for it, but no, I hate but, rolling but pucks on the board. You know, like TJ Brody, we don't make talk about him because he he yeah. makes the play, and then they pay him three million extra. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's like, so that's, true. That's the cost of the guy who makes the play versus the guy who doesn't. It's so then Kerfoot, kind of the forward hall, and like he makes a little bit more money. Yeah. Maybe does some more things, but he's not supposed to make the, no, the exactly. big mistake, but he's not supposed to make the exactly. play either. They're just. And he, who do we talk about? I feel like we talk about Kerfoot a fair bit. Like, yeah, like, he does come up quite a bit. It's remarkable how similar Yarn Crook and Kerfoot look to me as players. Yeah. As players. I feel like. Yaron Kroc has a little bit more edge. Edge. Yeah, no more, doubt. You know, like Looks even though he meaner. took two penalties, yeah. like he's he he takes a penalty chopping a stick out of a guy's hand. He takes a penalty getting in the way of a guy because he feels made like a dumb shot. Feels <laughs> like feels like Yaron Kroc would shoulder nudge a guy to get past him, whereas Kerfoot like dips by him. That's it, right? Meanwhile, Kerfoot's the guy who took a penalty to put Tampa Bay on the five on three in the post. Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh, we uh, we only have not enough time in the show to talk about penalties from that series with me here. Like, please yeah. don't even don't even tempt me. Don't tempt <laughs> okay, me. We're we talking about Justin Holm. We're talking about penalties. I don't want to do it. All right. So tonight we're going to get a look. Uh, Bunting, Matthews, Marner. Sorry, tomorrow. Nylander, Tavares, Robertson. That's exciting. And then everything else pretty much the same. Should we look around the what? league and no. see what's going on? Oh, one more poopy game. You got to break it up. Of which? Just a little shake wake-up call. Put some. Put Marner with Tavares. Well, 1688. A little you-know-what whack. Mm-hmm. Just get them off. Get them away from each other for a little bit. I Like, one more crappy game, and you got to just throw them in. It's just healthy Matthews for I know. Just a half a game even for, <laughs> for 35 minutes. Make yeah. them think that they have to play with somebody else for a little bit. Yeah. No, I agree. I, the, this is, if you it's were to be comfy. critical, so... I am a Sheldon Keefe defender. Like people accuse me of being like a Kyle Dubas defender. I That's think Kyle's, me. yeah, I think Kyle's a, a good GM. Uh, I like the, the way the Leafs are built, yada, yada. I am probably more of a Sheldon Keefe defender, having worked with him and seen how he's a brilliant hockey coach, in yep. my opinion. Um, and it's a tough job. And I recognize that some of the complications are tough to understand. In game, I think he does a really nice job, yada, yada. One fair criticism, I think, is he has shown an inability to punish players to hold guys accountable 
you know, this today being Always the back to the start of the show. Right? Yeah. Today being the latest version of that. But Sammy, this is a thing we talked about last year, numerous times that, you know, even when he's mad, all right, William Nylander, staple him to the bench. He's benched down a goal with yeah. six minutes left. All <laughs> his old 88 crew, yeah. you know, he, he really hasn't been able to stick to his guns on punishments. Yeah, I think I think that's fair, and I I think it's I think that all goes back a little bit to roster construction, right? Well, if you have exactly. a third line that you feel a little better about, then and you this say year maybe you can do it. Then maybe you can. Maybe but they're still they depend so much on those four guys for production. If you're down in a game and Willie's done something dumb, but you're down three two in the third period, I you're want like, him out there. I'm like, oh, I gotta send a message to. Well, no, you look like an idiot if you're playing. You, Angval over him. Well, but it's a hard, maybe not. it's a hard balance maybe to walk. Maybe not if you start now and say all season long we've put Kelly Yarncrock, a great player, out there, you know, in that position, or you know, whoever else it may be. You know, this year looking at the third line of Engval, Kerfoot, Yarncrock, they're not never going to score. They're yeah. going to score forty times, not eighty times, mm-hmm. or whatever a top line scores. Thirty times they might score. Sorry, that was a bit aggressive. <laughs> but um, even Aston Reese, Camp, and Abe Kubel, you feel like they can at least be out there a little bit more. So should give him a little bit more latitude if he wants to hold to some punishments. We'll see who's next, and will it be Michael Bunting? Mm. Probably Bunting. Yeah, feels like feels like a pretty obvious name. All right. Um, do we want to do Labushkin, Landeskog, or Ekblad? What are our priorities? I'm, I'm a guest. I'm sitting this one let's, out. Let's do Labushkin. We, I think we have the Labushkin. audio of the sound of that Louis... I think it's Louis DeBrus calling that game outside so. with Jack Michaels. Yeah, and so this is the Edmonton broadcast that does not want to make a big deal out of one of their players getting completely trucked. <laughs> This fellow number 37, oh. a huge hit on Dylan Holloway. Labushkin with Fogel going right after him. Can we, can we get that again? It's the O at the top I want you to pay attention to. It's DeBrusque. Is, is this fellow number 37, oh. a huge hit That's on Dylan you, Holloway. Labushkin with working. Fogel going. You're just watching the game and that just comes out of you alone at home. I'm going, oh. I will admit, I, will admit I was watching baseball. <laughs> Bad cool. hockey fan. I was watching the baseball game. I love playoff baseball, so I had the uh, the NLCS on. I actually, but, you know, I, I did uh, watch Ottawa at Boston, but I caught the highlight of that one. I was alerted to this by uh, your friend of mine, Nick Kiprios, in our group chat <laughs> with... Uh, these are the texts we got. But this Paige is, by the way, Nick is never excited in a group Paige text. Thompson, wow, with 100 exclamation marks because he scored a sick goal. Was Mc- nice. McDavid-like, and then <laughs> Labushkin with the hit of the year, maybe hit of the decade. Oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> it's. I mean, it was that, like, jarring. You don't see that in today's NHL that often. The, you know, you mentioned the north, south, you're on the train tracks. I'm trying to, like, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of the ones. And all the ones from recent memory are, yeah. like, more than 10 years ago. Like, I yeah. think of Ovechkin catching a guy. That wasn't north, south. That was, like, around the yeah. back of the net. Downey had some big ones on that, McCamp. The one that that reminded me of. Yager. And, no, not no. even. And it's another Buffalo Sabre. It's uh, Brian Campbell catching Umberger in the playoffs Great. back in the yeah. day. Oh, that was I, Like, at that, it was in the similar spot of the ice at the other end, like, around the blue line. To me, you know what one I remember weirdly is Dion Phaneuf on Kyle Opozo. Oh, Phaneuf yeah. was in Calgary at the oh, time. Oh, he's flying. Phaneuf has a oh, absolute his mixtape. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Deal. Um, but I think it's interesting because Holloway's a kid, right? How many games did he say he played? That was his third NHL game. I a quick Google search. So there's something to be said that the I get way mine that from Bing usually. <laughs> the hockey. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, uh, my computer is stuck with Yahoo Search somehow. <laughs> I, I don't know how to change it. It's a nightmare. <laughs> I do. I change it. Last computer. I, no, no, I, ch- I change it back, and then it goes. It's a nightmare. Anyways, it's a nightmare. It's guys, a living hell. Guys, don't. I don't think expect 
that anymore. So there like, is there's a no really way good he point was thinking. There. There's no way he was thinking like that puck comes off the boards. And he probably should just let it go for an icing. That was not a great yeah, spot to pick up. Yeah, you go line up in your own zone and go, I'm not touching that. <laughs> but he, guys just don't get hit like that anymore. And especially a kid who probably came up through junior and probably never was even close to hit like that. It's, it's, it's a commentary on where the game's going because it's two yeah. different things. So I wrote an article quite a while ago. I was working at the score, and the article was called, uh, You're Still Allowed to Hit Hard in Hockey. Mm. And it was it was a response to people seeing all these hits and being like, take it out of the, you know, it, whatever you think of these hits, it's a legal hit. Yep. You're allowed to hit a guy who has the hockey puck. And it was that, perfect. That, he it separated was, the guy from the puck. Like, yeah. it was right on his stick. It was a perfect And hit. you're allowed to oh. hit as hard as you want. It's allowed. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so, but when, when I played, and this is, wow, I feel like I'm getting old even using that expression. When I played... Um, you know, it was more common for people to seek out that hit. Yep. And so, yeah, like you talk about letting it go for an icing. You know, my first thought before I touch that puck is you look in the other way first. Like, is this a puck I'm even going to try to corral or why am I this far ahead of the play or whatever? Yep. But it, it did seem like Holloway was a guy who had no, no thought that that could even be coming. And you know what? 99% of the time it's not unless you're playing Labushkin, Truba, you know, there's a handful of guys who might hit you there. Mizen will do it, but then he'll probably be out. But he nailed somebody. He nailed Hathaway. Well, yeah. In the, in he had a big hit in the Washington. He game. can do it for sure. Yeah. For there's sure. Certain guys that can do it, but not many guys do. No. And it just makes me really happy to see it. Like, not when guys I get hurt. It. Yeah. It's, it. Just, it's one it, of the best parts of hockey. It is so I mean, so as long exciting. as Holloway's okay. And he, he seemed to be somewhat okay. <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just. I, you know, I've, been, Holloway I've been a lot of different games. I've been through a lot of different hockey games over my life, watched a lot of different games, been in junior hockey barns for 20 years of my life. And there's nothing that got the crowd. Like a goal, sure. Being How many play, MVP chances have you heard for Austin Matthews yes. in his career? There's nothing that gets people going in hockey like a big open ice hit. And yeah. I, that was just an elite one. Hit of the decade, according to Kipper. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It feels dirty that he wasn't here to discuss it. I know. Honestly. Well, he'll, he'll get his though. two cents on it tomorrow. Uh, Gunner, thanks for joining us, man. Always fun, always fun. Uh, me and Gord down at the Rain Club, the game on 590 tomorrow. Oh, he, can't wait. I know. This is great. We got Gunner, we got Gord. Tomorrow, Sammy, you and uh, you and JD are back on. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I'll be on whenever. Whenever. <laughs> You'll see me tomorrow. <laughs> Please win. All right. This has been Real Kipper and Bourne and Gunning and Brandeo and McKee and Rolnick and Sportsnet. We will be back tomorrow.